We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And, Jack, we are talking about another Nets win on this West Coast trip. And tonight, it was over the L.A. Lakers. No Anthony Davis, but LeBron was still there. Nets won 109-98. How are we feeling, Jack? That's your best free throw shooter? <laughs> Kyrie with the trash talk to LeBron. Obviously, we know there's a relationship there. But plenty to talk about from this game. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, feeling pretty good after this win. Oh, Nick, I thought I got to watch a solid chunk of this game. And thankfully, because this team is just absolutely rolling now. And yes, the Los Angeles Lakers aren't a behemoth offensively, especially when you take out Dennis Schroeder and Anthony Davis, two of their three best offensive players. But when you still have LeBron James, Kyle Kuzma, Taylor Horton Tucker's playing pretty well. Montrez Howell's a good offensive player. Marcus Ol not necessarily, but he's a good ball mover. Ball mover. The fact that we could keep them to 45 points in the second half and only 53 in the first half, I thought that the Nets are continuing to lock things in. Some of it was Lakers just missing some of their shots, but I also do think it was good defense. And it seems to me that, you know, as Steve Nash alluded to before the game, and I, I had a bit of a chat with um, Steve Jones Jr. of the Dunker spot, it seems to me that there are improvements happening. The communication's there, the activity's there, the engagement's there, uh, and the Nets are maybe actually turning a corner defensively. I think that's the biggest point from this game, Nick, as a team. Yeah, I think you've seen it the last few games. You know, obviously we talked about it in that Phoenix Suns comeback. A big reason for that was the defense, specifically in that second half. And tonight it worked out too. And I think also to an extent, obviously no Anthony Davis, so it's hard to say this as like a, a solid take. But for against this specific Lakers team, they're a good matchup for the Nets is because they don't have elite three-point shooters. So they're not you're not really going to get punished if you overhelp in some situations. And we know that's been the case for the Nets. And they were able to help a little bit more on LeBron, force a couple turnovers in that situation, or just make life a little bit difficult. Obviously, he's still going to get his being arguably the greatest player of all time. But I thought they did a solid job on him considering what they had. And Jeff Green had that assignment most of the night. Yeah, and, and when they were, you know, switched out, I, I know DeAndre Jordan had a possession or yeah. two on him, and, and, you know, he forced him to, to pass out and, and pass out twice, I think it was. So I think that the Nets are just becoming more comfortable cohesively as a team on the defensive end of the floor. Their switching is much, much better. They're not overdoing the switches. There was a time where I think LeBron was seeking out, I can't remember if it was TLC or Shamit, and Jeff Green was on him, but Jeff Green fought through the screen well yep. and still had him, and TLC was smart enough to not go, all right, 
I don't need a double in here because we know LeBron passing out of a double is you know as dangerous as James Harden or Nikola Jokic, one of the best passes ever. I just think that they are just playing much smarter, better team basketball. They're getting those habits in, and they're getting him in against the best teams. This is the best time. You know, this West Coast trip, it's, it's a turning point for, for the Brooklyn Nets now. Yeah, it really is, Jack. And I thought that was a great point you just made about the switching because in the first quarter, they were gifting LeBron switches. You know, he was getting what he wanted, getting the post matchup, either Joe Harris, TLC, Shamit, whoever it was. I actually thought TLC had a couple solid possessions on LeBron when he didn't get bodied. But overall, in that second half, it looked like they maybe made the adjustment like, hey, Jeff Green, start fighting through these screens. Lakers don't necessarily have that type of three-point shooting that's going to make you pay. You know what I mean? Like, their best three-point shooter this season has been LeBron. Yeah, yeah, and that's saying something. And probably their best free throw shooter. So, like, that's your best free throw <laughs> shooter. That's your best three-point shooter. I think the most savage thing about that, Nick, wasn't Kyrie's comments necessarily, but it was Katie on Instagram liking the post while he's in the locker room. Oh, please, the pettiness is real. I mean, I don't know what was uh, more enthusing about the, tonight's game. Katie's stank faces and reaction memes or the, the dominant win by the Brooklyn Nets. It was just a fun evening for Nets fans, Nick. Yeah, it really was. Obviously, it wasn't necessarily the game that we were anticipating as Nets fans, NBA fans, like, hey, maybe the two best teams in the entire NBA matching up full strength because, you know, just a week ago, it looked like Anthony Davis was going to play. It looked like Kevin Durant was going to play. AD suffers the injury. KD suffers the injury. We don't get that. Dennis Schroeder obviously out due to COVID protocol. So not necessarily the full spectacle, but anytime you beat a team that has LeBron James and still has other great players because they beat good teams without Anthony Davis, it's a tick on your belt. Nick, I wanted to ask, obviously, it's a massive tick. It's 3 million ticks. It's a triple plus. It's 100% on the test, whatever superlative you want to use. Nick, I wanted to ask you, this thought came to my mind as we were talking about KD and, and the injuries in general. Is the KD injury a blessing in disguise for some of these role players? We're sort of seeing the cohesion in chemistry. And I also do think KD is one of the easiest, most malleable superstars we've ever seen. It might be his most underrated and best trait. You can put him in and it's not going to upset any sort of chemistry. He's going to just add to what you already have and then some. He's going to make our three-point shooting better. He's going to increase our defensive propensity. But overall, Nick, do you think that this has actually helped the team in some ways? Yeah, I could say in the long run, I could see it. You know, we talked about Tyler Johnson didn't necessarily have a big game tonight, but he's gotten a few more games, a few more minutes in the past games. And then even just the extent of Kyrie and James Harden working on their chemistry and their synergy, because like you mentioned, Jack, KD can come in and he just is going to add to everything. He's just going to be an upgrade over every single position or almost every single aspect of this team. The only person who really does something better than him is probably James Harden in the playmaking and passing department. But other than that, scoring-wise, shooting-wise, defending, KD's your best player. So I think, it, like you said, Jack, it really is a blessing in disguise because the Nets are still getting wins and they're also improving in other areas. And like we said before in a million times in the show, KD's been the one player in the Nets actually playing defense this season for at least majority of the time. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the fact that he's the best shooter on this team because we did have Joe Harris score <laughs> 21 freaking points. National TV, Joe, give him his and own TV show. he got the post-game uh, interview. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The beard's looking good. He's looking sharp. He's looking sweaty. The gum is chewing vigorously. It's moist in there. It's moist over here. Six or seven from the field. Seven or ten. Six or seven from three, sorry. Seven or ten from the field. Uh, five boards. Had a dime. Had a steal. 21 points plus 12. He, out, he was almost the Nets' best scorer, Nick. And that... I think my favorite scoring and my favorite play from him tonight was that incredible fadeaway beating the buzzer too. Yeah. I'm just like, that's something Corey Heavy and Kevin Durant do. Yeah, it really was. I mean, Joe got hot. What was it in that second quarter? It felt like he hit three or four threes in that stretch, and that really started to stretch out the lead for the Nets. And you'll like this, Jack. Somebody messaged me before the game and asked me about a prop bet, and they're like, you think Joe Harris is going to hit two or more threes tonight? And I said, yeah. You know, I had confidence in your boy, came through. Triple that, mate. Triple that. <laughs> he did. Triple the, the man. That man should get triple his winnings if he put the, the the money down. I certainly would. I'd put my money. I'd put my life. I'd risk my life for Joey Buckets. There's no doubt about that. But he is continuing to improve and show consistency in a way that he would be. Nick, I put this on Twitter. He would be the Lakers' second best player right now. Obviously, Anthony Davis is out. But if you put Dennis Schroeder back in and you have their entire roster, I still think Joe Harris would be their second best player, obviously, with Anthony Davis out. 
Yeah, I think he would be a great compliment to LeBron. It's kind of funny that he never got the true opportunity to be this version of himself. Obviously, they were on the same Cleveland team, but he never got minutes on that team. They ended up trading to Orlando. He got cut. That's how he ended up on the Nets. But also, quick note on Joe, I thought he was pretty active on the boards tonight. You know, he only had five. But it felt like he was in there tipping, you know, rebounds to his teammates or just boxing out and being active on that aspect of the game. And like we talk about a lot and going to the game in the DMs, we were saying, like, you know, the battle of the boards is going to be a big one. It was good to see some of the guards and the forwards help the big men out or DeAndre and Jeff Green. Yeah, especially when you've got like Montrez Harrell, who's a, yeah. a really great rebounder out there. It ended up finishing Nick 39 to 39. The only, it was it was a tie. You know, the, the Lakers had two more offensive boards, uh, but the Nets had two more defensive boards. So I think, I think that overall, that gang rebounding that we mentioned that is so important to this team and their overall defense in a lot of ways, because yeah. we know that they can play decent defense for, for, for certain periods of time, but sometimes they just disengage and, and get in the board. Or, and I think that the Nets are doing that incredibly well you know joe will get up there tlc will get up there landry will get up there the whole team is seeming to have a, a real emphasis on finishing the play getting the board and then getting out and transitioning as quickly as possible you always see james or you always see kai hanging around to so they can really move the ball and get things moving so i think that while rebounding might be the simplest and easiest skill in the nba it is so important to what the nets do offensively and defensively yeah, and honestly, it's a skill that's hard to make up in terms of not having the size and height, and a lot of that's going to come with effort. And like you said, Jack, kind of almost building habits. You know, if you're going full in on small ball, you're playing a lot of small ball, you're just going to need these players to be used to going back to the rim. And we talked about that a little bit with Jeff Green having to adjust at different points. But like for the guard, it's like, hey, just don't run out in transition. We are going to need you to help to secure this board, and then we can go from there. There's going to be certain possessions where it works out fine. We'll get our fast break opportunities, you know, be it you either a long rebound or a turnover, but sometimes we have to give that up and just go down and play our half-court offense. Nick, I'm going to throw something at you. I'm not sure you probably have the box score in front of you. We're always quite prepared in, in, on this podcast. But DeAndre Jordan obviously led the team with eight boards. It's always good to see. He's continuing to play pretty well. We'll get to him in a little bit. But who do you think, if you don't have the box score in front of you, was second in that department? In terms of, say that again, Jack, in rebounding? Individual rebounding, correct. Um, I can cheat. I will just make a guess that would probably be James Harden or Jeff Green. It was Kyrie Irving with seven. He had yeah. three offensive boards. And the one thing that I'm liking from Kyrie Irving of late, I think, to be honest, and this is me just reading into it, I think his index finger is hurting him or you know hampering him somewhat but he's doing things beyond what he would normally do for his shot making and for his just impact on the game in general he still he started the the game relatively cold but then he finished it off uh, in that fourth quarter and and where we needed those sort of big shots but he had seven boards and three offensive boards nick and that's one thing that i've seen him do quite well ever since we sort of see him out uh, with the obviously index finger injury yeah, no, I think it's also been just since they've gotten James Harden where he almost has possessions off. Like there's going to be possessions when Harden's out there where you're kind of just sitting in the corner. And I feel like there's some extra energy there. And also it's just like trying to have that full impact on the game. But getting to his finger, I definitely think it's bothering him. And I also think tonight was just, you know, an off night. You know, not every single night you're going to have your jumper. It feels like it's been that way for Kyrie all season. But there's occasionally going to be the night where everything's a little bit short. And that felt like tonight. And look, that's where you have the the Harden. You have James Harden. And look, James Harden wasn't incredible. Like he he was really really good. You know. And look, this is going to sound rich coming from me, a, a guy who isn't even an all star starter, <laughs> despite the fact that he had twenty three points tonight, eleven assists. That's like his average this season for the yeah. Wolves. And that's two steals, a block, three of seven from three, six of seven from the free throw line. James Harden just continues to do James Harden things. And I think that uh, I'm not sure if this has been put on Twitter somewhere, but I don't know if he's the most underrated superstar in the game right now, Nick, but it certainly seems that way. Yeah, I mean, some people didn't even consider him for all-star starter, and then you saw other people saying, like, he should have been on there instead of Kyrie Irving. I mean, I even saw a couple people mention him in MVP talk, and other people are saying he shouldn't even be an all-star. So, obviously, you know, he's he's going to have... Polarizing. Of, 
Yeah, exactly. Opinions on both ends of the spectrum. But I thought James Harden was really, really good tonight. And I think the Lakers started to adjust in the second half. We saw them send more double teams, start blitzing him, especially when it started to get some of those favorable switches. But I love the assist, you know, and also the efficiency. Seven of 15, three of seven from three. And just the way, and we, I feel like I talk about this all the time, but for me, it's like one of the most enjoyable aspects is just the way he manipulates the defense, understands what they're doing, and he makes life so easy for other players in the team. And I felt like there was a couple of possessions in this one where you know he hit a cutting Bruce Brown or he hit a cutting Jeff Green and they happened to miss the pass tonight and it wouldn't give him that extra assist or that extra you know tack on the box score but I, I felt his impact out there yeah, there are a few players in the game that have the level of control, composure, and dominance, underrated dominance than James yep. Harden does. He dominates in so many ways. He's an incredible scorer. He's an incredible passer. He's a very, very good rebounder. And look, two steals in a block as well. I think he's not necessarily... I think this is the, maybe the best defensive basketball that James Harden has played maybe since OKC. And even then, he was coming off the bench as well. So this might be the best defensive version. That's not saying he's you know an all-defensive caliber player, but he's showing effort and engagement and I think he's part of he's an important part of the team's game you know there were times where he gets you know in the switching styles of, of, and when he gets put in the post against LeBron you know we just I think that he's just impacting the game in so many different ways that not many players have the capabilities to do that yeah, I mean, I feel pretty good about him in most switches. You know what I mean? Like, he can at least yeah. hold his own in a lot of different areas, even against guards, like, occasionally get blown by. But, like, he's going to swipe at the ball at least. And in the post, like you mentioned, I thought the ability to defend Marcus Gasol was huge in this game. You know what I mean? It just kind of, like, eliminated any to him. Like, obviously, he's a little bit washed, but, like, he wasn't able to post up Harden. He wasn't able to really do much of anything. And I feel like the only time that Harden has trouble is if it's, like, a high-effort off-ball player. You know, somebody who's constantly rolling around screens and stuff like that because he just doesn't necessarily put in that much effort. If it's somebody who's a little slower stationary, he uses his strength, he uses basketball IQ and his quick hands, and he's been, you know— probably a little bit better defender than I anticipated. I anticipated a jump in his defense just given his workload was going to be down. But even then, I feel like it's been a little better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, for sure. And it just shows to me, I think that he... He might be the most motivated superstar in the league right now. He's one of the few sort of you know, truly elite players that doesn't have that ring on his resume. You know, yeah. you look at Stephen Curry, you look at LeBron James, you look at Kevin Durant, you look at Kyrie Irving, you look at these guys in the true upper echelon, Anthony Davis as well. You know, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard and, and James Harden is one of the few guys that just doesn't have it yet. It can elevate him to being one of the best guards in the history of this game. But he already is in that mold as well. He's got MVPs. He's got accolades aplenty. But I think we know the one that he really wants and that he's, he's incredibly motivated. And I think I'm really liking his leadership. There's moments here and there where, you know, DJ's taking a free throw and he's revving him up. He's like, good defense on the other end, mate. Or on the bench and stuff. You know, it just seems to me that... You know, we talked about, you know, the chemistry pre-Harden and how that was improving. And, it, and even in the preseason, how it was like a worry. Oh, Kyrie Irving's going to do this, blah, 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 blah. But at, at this point in time, it seems to me that the Nets are having fun. KD's having fun. The team is on a good uh, on a good run. Uh, winning certainly helps everything, Nick. Kyrie's hugging uh, dudes left, right, and center. Oh, man, I just need a Kyrie hug right now, don't we all? Yeah, I mean, that would be great, obviously. Um, but I just want to say one more note on Harden. And this is not to really throw shade at Kyrie, but it kind of is, I guess, to an extent. I feel more comfortable with James Harden like playing his role in the defense and not going rogue, where occasionally you'll see Kyrie just kind of do something like send a double team, overhelp in a situation where he like loses his man and it ends up in a bucket, where you see less of that from James Harden. And typically, if Harden's giving up it's a bu bucket, it's because he either got beat defensively or he just made a mistake instead of just like trying to do something on his own. So I like the fact that he plays his role defensively. Yeah, I think a lot of Kyrie Irving's mistakes on the defensive end are from a motivation to do too much. Almost. Yeah, self-inflicted. He's just like, all right, I need to do too much. Oh, we have to switch here. Oh, I have to gamble here. And it's yep. just those little things where it's just like, look, you love that, you know, want and desire. But I think he's 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 become steadier. Uh, I would I would like to say, and ever since you know, probably in, in seasons past. And I. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think because the, this this switching style, he is the, the guy that you can attack. But if you have, you know, DJ playing relatively well when switched on to guys, you know, I think it, it changes the scheme. And we spoke about early in the season how, you know, is it Kyrie Irving or is it DeAndre Jordan that the team is going to really attack in a playoff series? If those guys are at least, you know, on a decent enough and average enough base, it certainly takes the team from being... You know, an absolute weakness on that end of the floor to being at least, look, Katie's going to cover up those mistakes in the, in the back end. Jeff Green can cover up those mistakes in the back end. And maybe we get another guy on the buyout market, be it an Andre Drummond, JaVale McGee, to certainly help in that area too. So I think that, that those things are, are improving, Nick. They certainly do need some work. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Um, Nick, I wanted to bring to you, this is via Are You Fan 30, our dude Bruce, the Nets Parade Grand Marshal. Apparently Charles Barkley's still talking about the one ball, Nick. There's only one ball. Are we really on this? Does, do Shaq and Charles, I mean, Shaq doesn't even know who Pascal Siakam is. These yeah. guys don't watch basketball, yet we're doing game after game on this podcast, and we're still not, put us on TNT. Jesus. No. I mean, I, tonight actually was like one of the first times I've actually watched the TNT broadcast because typically I'll just, you know, go out of the room for halftime, get something to eat or whatever it might be. Tonight I actually watched for both games and it's just like you can tell they just don't watch. They don't really have interest and it's just kind of for creating headlines. And it's just to the point is it's almost like <laughs> de-educating NBA fans like it's telling them incorrect opinions and now they're going with these opinions because they're coming for former all-star greats or legends and they're just completely incorrect and it's just kind of annoying and we've talked about them a fair amount on this show in terms of just like the way they've disrespected some of the players today and just kind of like oh you know get off my lawn old man type stuff. Yeah, and look, it's it's not something that affects us but it just seems to me that they're continuing to be underappreciated you know this is uh, and look i i I like i I think that because the nets are just no one knows where to place them at this point in time you know are they a a true villain team like the old golden state warriors with kevin durant are they a team on the come up with these fun guys and they're just offense 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 and the the new modern day prototype uh, of the nba who knows we don't give a shit because this team is playing some awesome damn basketball and they're one of the championship contenders and they beat one of them tonight yes obviously not a lot can be taken away from it in in certain respects but i think the main takeaways that we've sort of discussed earlier in terms of individual individual talents and individual contributions and team defense and the way that the three-point ball is falling you know they're obviously going to be incredibly dangerous in, in so many different ways and i heard Reggie miller say it a, a heap of different times try and beat this team in a, in a seven game series four times i think that's just a, a really poignant sort of point um from the from the dude in indiana Yeah, I mean, you're going to have games like tonight where they get hot from three, 46% from three. And we're talking about the previous two games, they made 20 plus threes, shooting, what, close to 50% in both games. So it's just like 
there's a lot of different options for this team to beat you. But Jack, I want to go back to a point that you brought up about uh, the Nets defense and how, you know, teams like to attack Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan. I felt like DeAndre really had a nice game tonight. You know, it's not one that's going to get talked about a ton, but I thought defensively he showed some good effort, nice on his rotations, very active with setting the screens. I felt his impact on the boards. There was a couple of times where he probably should have got a loose ball foul. So I really like this type of play from DeAndre, and he's put together a good stretch after we saw, you know, the argument between him and James Harden on the sideline, the talking with Steve Nash. It looks like DeAndre reacted to that in the best way possible. Really? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I thought DeAndre was, he's, I think that Phoenix game was a mild turn. I think the Detroit game obviously was the big turning point for him. You know, the bit, bit of a clash um, yep. with Steve Nash in the locker room. I, I think that that's something that is really, really positive. These guys just want to be great. And it seems to me that DJ is relishing the opportunity and relishing the responsibilities now. He knows he has to contribute to this team if we are going to win a championship. And I think he's starting to go, you know what? I don't mind getting out in the perimeter. I don't mind having these you know, new challenges put before me. And I think Steve Nash is a guy who is... You know, who can throw it to you straight. You know, if Steve Nash yep. is the one telling you that compared to Kenny Atkinson in season pass, and it's no slight on Kenny. It's just that Steve Nash has the has the reps behind him as a player and, and, and just in general has the respect that other coaches wouldn't be able to do that. So, look, DJ is being, has been really, really solid for this team uh, and consistent in these past few games. He was he was so damn important in, in the Phoenix comeback. He was re he's been just so damn solid, Nick. And, I mean, it's my be uh, if, if he can maintain that synonym that I described for him, that adjective that I described for him, sorry, then it's going to be a, a really good season for the Brooklyn Nets team and defensively especially. Yeah, I mean, then it's just maybe one need you have. You know what I mean? Like this guy is giving you solid center minutes against a team that has, you know, a stationary center or somebody who works in the post. It's perfect. You know what I mean? Like Montrose Harrell's a nice matchup for him. Even Marcus Gasol wasn't too bad. I felt like the difference in the game was really, at different points, uh, DeAndre's rim protection. You know what I mean? Like he really yeah. helped lock down the paint, especially because like we talked about earlier, lack of three-point shooting on the Lakers. You have this big body down there, shut things down, and it worked out. So if he can play at this level, and I feel like in a way, it almost makes it even more frustrating, the play we saw from DeAndre, because like you mentioned earlier, the possession we saw him switch down LeBron. He showed a lot of effort and a lot of foot movement, and we don't typically see that from him consistently. It's been better over this stretch, but it's like, where was that the first 15 games of the season? Yeah, look, it's... Uh, I think that it's better late than never, Nick. I'm not. Yeah. I'm look, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward <laughs> this Brooklyn Nets team. The best Five is yet to streak. come. Five games. Let's make it six against the Clippers. Let's let's turn it to the Utah Jazz. Get 19 or 20. Let's become the team that everyone loves or loves to hate. Either way, I'm loving this Brooklyn Nets team right now, Nick. And uh, a stat via Stat Muse, and it makes me. Oh, it makes me feel good just reading this out, Nick. Joe Harris on the season, 51 points per game, 53.4% from the field, 50.7% from three. He is on pace to become the first player in NBA history to shoot 50% from the field and over 50% from three on a minimum of three attempts per game. Joe Harris makes history in my head and heart, but he also makes history in the grand landscape of the NBA, Nicholas. Yeah, I mean, that would be a really historical season, especially considering there's an opportunity for multiple players on Nets to hit the 50-40-90 number two in terms of shooting efficiency. It, it could be a historical year for the Nets. We already saw them break a couple records in Nets history, you know, points in regulation in OKC with 147. We saw the three-point record a few days ago against the Kings. So it's just like a lot of things are happening. But you kind of, kind of made me think of this player when you said love to hate, and we kind of have a love-hate relationship with this guy. TLC came out balling tonight, five of nine from the field and five of eight from three, 15 points. And he really helped stretch this lead too with those three point makes. So just like he couldn't miss to start the game. Look, I've got to put some tags on Twitter, Nick, and some of them are completely out of control and I absolutely mean <laughs> nothing of. And I said that TLC now belongs in the same realm as Joe Harris as a shooter. Of course I don't mean it, guys. Please, it's me and Joe Harris. We know Just when to take things. That one. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, look, it's a bit of a reach. You know, I've got a, a solid wingspan. It's not Kevin Durant in that sort of respect. But look, Sometimes you just got to put takes out there for the sake of putting takes. But look, in all seriousness, Nick, five and nine from the field, all of those three-pointers, five of eight from three, plus 18 on the night. He was the leader in plus liners for the Nets. 15 points, two steals, three dimes, two boards. TLC is like, you know what? I want to be a rotation player for this team going forward. I'm going to hit my threes. And look, 
I'm going to say that tonight, as soon as he hit that first one, I was confident whenever it was kicked yeah. out to him. He looks confident, and he's eradicating, again, the mistakes and the blemishes in his game. You put out a really nice play, Nick, and I'll let you sort of discuss it uh, in general. I think it was somewhere in the second or third quarter. Yeah, third quarter, late third quarter, Jack, and I can't recall the game. I want to say it was maybe the Kings game or maybe it was earlier in the Pistons game or sometime last week. We had a play where TLC really aggravated us. You know, me personally, transition play, there was two or three defenders on the other end, and instead of dropping the ball off to somebody else, he just tried to go straight at all three of the defenders, ended up being a turnover out of bounds, really ugly one tonight. Ends up getting his steals in transition, two Lakers ahead, probably even a better position than he was in the previous game where he could have driven, but instead he drops the ball off to Kyrie. Kyrie passes the ball to Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson hit Landry Shamit in the corner, knocks down the three, four-point play because the Lakers foul, and that's just like the type of growth we want to see from TLC. Patience. Make the read and react instead of just putting your head down and already having the play decide in your head when you get the ball. Yeah, big time, big time. I, I think that he is... We want our role players. I think that's been the the most positive takeaway from this West Coast road trip, Nick, is the the improved play from Landry Shamet, TLC. You know, Tyler Johnson, like we sort of touched on earlier, he wasn't amazing tonight, but uh, I think that he's still contributing. And I like when he's picking up guys like Alex Caruso full court. Yep. You know, I just it's a mentality thing. I think the mentality has switched it for, to these guys. You know, Landry Shamit, I think, has has been shooting, you know, 40% or plus from the three-point line the past sort of eight or nine games. He's turned the corner, and I'm really confident with the ball's in his hands now. He knows how to make the right decisions, and I think he's, you know, turning into the player that we thought and hoped he would be. Um, but TLC is, is doing similar. If he's going to continue shooting the three ball and, you know, have a bit of size about him, make some steals here or there, it, it's, it's nice to just have these guys in reserve nick obviously we want to add to that rotation and look i'm not necessarily still 100 percent confident of those guys uh, in a key playoff series against the lakers or against the Sixers or against the bucks but if they keep proving it to me i'm gonna have to eat my own words yeah i mean they have what about 40 games to still kind of develop those skills experience build those habits and i think tlc has an edge over some guys on the team is because we talked about this before being six seven having a little bit of a wingspan being a little bit of switchy like if he can just create a baseline for himself of like hey this is the performance we can expect from tlc very very solid defense high effort plays you know can shoot mid 30s from three I'd be really happy with that player. It's about creating that baseline and raising that floor. I don't really care as much about the ceiling. Tonight was a pretty high ceiling game for him. Long as he can keep the floor high is all I care about and play that solid defense and eliminate those just terrible turnovers and bad decisions. Yeah, sometimes the ceiling is the roof, sometimes the ceiling is the floor. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. matter. But Nick, uh, I wanted to touch on a, a quick quote from, uh, this is via Greg Logan's question, and this is about the Kyrie Irving in response to the Nets winning streak now. He said, I think we've just really focused on making it about us. That's yep. our effort. That's our attitude. We just want to be a great team with a lot of individuals who can do great things on any given night. I think that's a really poignant quote from Kyrie, and a nice question from uh, Greg Logan, who is, I'm sure, incredibly excited about Andre Drummond possibly coming to the Brooklyn Nets. But that's uh, enough of that. In saying that, Kyrie Irving's point about individuals who can do great things, that's TLC hitting some threes here or there. That's Bruce Brown making some savvy cuts and just being an absolute monster. That's Joe Harris being the, the greatest human to ever step foot on this earth. And that's Kevin Durant providing us with some stank memes. It's DeAndre Jordan providing us what we talked about earlier. It's Jeff Green continuing to be a goddamn steady force, no matter if he's starting or if he's coming off the bench. It seems to me that the focus inward, Nick, uh, is really benefiting this team. You know, having the shoot-arounds, the three-on-threes, I think that Tyler Johnson alluded to, you know, focusing on the self to be quite holistic about it rather than the external variables uh, can create some really positive results. And we're seeing that from our Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, that's the first thing that popped up. Like, the second part of the quote is great, but the fact that he says, I think we just really focus on making it about, about us is what stuck out to me because James Harden said something very similar before the Lakers game saying like, we're not really concerned about them. It's more so about how we play and what we do out there. And I think that's right. Just given the amount of t offensive talent they have out there, the Lakers an elite defensive team. And I think we heard a stat during the broadcast that their defensive ratings actually better with Anthony Davis off the floor this season. AD not necessarily having a great season. I'm sure that'll change come postseason wise. So, but still being a really, really good defensive team. And it felt like at points in this game, the Nets could almost do whatever they wanted. You know what I mean? Like they just have that amount of offensive talent where they can just attack you in so many different ways because it's like, hey, 
we have a counter for that. We have a counter for this. Oh, you want to double team James Harden? Oh, Kyrie's going to get an ISO situation. Oh, you want to send help that way? Hit Joe Harris in the corner. Oh, you want to rotate with this big right there? DeAndre Jordan's going to catch an oop. Like there's so many different options for this team offensively. And Kevin Durant wasn't even out there. It's scary, Nick. The scary hours scary have hours. been upon us for quite a while. And i got to give you another Kyrie Irving quote because he's talking about my boy. I need the content for the OnlyFans, Nick. Kyrie Irving says that the key to Joe Harris's greatness, this is via Matt Brooks, by the way, says the key to Joe Harris's greatness is his ability to drive and attack off closeouts. His ability to get to the line. Look, Duncan Robinson can't do that shit. You know, his sheen-looking, Jimmy Neutron-looking head. You know, no one... Clearly, he is inferior handsomeness-wise, but he's also an inferior basketballer because Joe Harris is... I just really like that quote from Kyrie because he probably remembers Joe back in those Cleveland days and has seen him grow and blossom into one of the truly best superstar role players. I like to steal that quote from uh, Tristan Thompson. Superstar role players in the league right now. Every single team would kill to have Joe Harris. And while, you know, Samuel Quinn might be thinking that his, his, his contract is a little bit tad inflated, well... I don't know about right now, but about that KCP dude, he's earning $20 million a year. What did he do tonight? Joe Harris, meanwhile, is earning $19 million a year and getting six or seven from three and hitting daggers in your goddamn heart, Samuel. Sorry, Sammy. Joe Harris, Nick. Joe Harris. Yeah, I mean, Joe Harris had a great game, and I think we've talked about a lot his development as becoming more than a shooter, you know, more than just a three-point shooter. He can attack on the drives. He can make a couple passes. He's added that mid-range shot. We've even seen this kind of like semi-floater shot from him a couple times. And I mean, Joe was 7 of 10 tonight. The two layups I saw him miss at the rim are ones that he typically hits, so it was pretty close to being a one-miss night for Joe Harris. Yeah. He's so damn efficient, Nick, and it it just seems to me that he knows what shot he wants before he's going to yeah. take it, and he's just confident. It's never like he's flustered, and 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 that's at times what we might see from TLC or Landry Shamit in games past, and I think that they've got that out of their game as well. It just seems to me that there's a composure to this team that you generally expect out of the best teams in the NBA. You know, you destroy teams, you dominate teams early, and then you take the foot off the gas. You know, a lot of people were getting a little bit antsy about, oh, it's down to 15, LeBron's still out there, and it's just like, you know what, Kyrie Irving, I'm going to hit a shot here, and I'm going to hit a shot there. That's what the great teams do, and the Nets aren't a great team just yet, but they're playing great basketball. Yeah, I mean, they're on their way there, they're building the habits, they're creating that type of momentum to get there, and, you know, like, I think it's easy as a fan to be like, oh, we're up 20, and then all of a sudden it was 10. You know what I mean? Like, that happens, because you have to also realize that, like, the other team is trying to win this game, and they're going to go on runs, and they have this great player in LeBron James, so that type of thing is going to happen. It's about reacting to those runs and making sure they turn into an 8-0 run instead of a 16-0 run, and they get even closer, or you lose your momentum, or you lose their confidence. And like you said, Jack, this is a team that's starting to build that mental confidence, and it's showcasing in the games, and they're winning in a you know in a nice manner yeah big time absolutely it's uh, there's a lot of good things happening in netsland right now it's it's fun watching these games nick it's it's just a vibe and, and i think that that's the key word that Kyrie irving used as well fun you know when you're talking a bit of trash to your former teammate you know i'm sure that there's much worse things in the game that weren't caught by the mics and the cameras but that was fun kd you know obviously with the memes and such the the cuddles here and there love a good cuddle you know obviously Nick, did, was there anything else you wanted to touch on in the game? Obviously, you know, Bruce Brown continued to provide his sentence. Nine points, four boards for him. Had a steal as well. I'm sure he'd be happy about getting that steal in the box score. Tyler Johnson wasn't great, but I thought that he still provided something despite only playing eight minutes. And I think that the, it, it's a luxury having him in reserve when Kyrie Irving was injured. And he only played 34 minutes tonight. So 33 and a bit uh, minutes tonight. So I think that there were some positive things. You know, Bruce Brown and the role players. Um, anything else you wanted to add or touch on? Yeah, I think 38 minutes for James Harden isn't bad either. I I thought the Lakers, though, showcased the weakness in Bruce Brown's game. Like, that's what was able to kind of keep the game close for them is because Marcus Gasol was able to defend Bruce Brown, and that gave them their extra help on the rim. Like, given the Nets were shooting so well from three, it didn't necessarily matter, but if they needed to get in the paint more, that's where it kind of hurt to have Bruce Brown because Marcus Gasol, being such a smart player, was able to kind of send more help, send more double teams, and that's why it felt like at times when DJ was out there, it made more sense because Bruce Brown doesn't give you that vertical spacing. He gives you just kind of that floater and push shot, and sometimes it's going to be tough against one of those bigger teams. So I feel like we saw 
some of the positive and some of the negative from Bruce Brown because like also he did have some nice defensive possessions getting up there picking up people full court and providing that defensive intensity but it's also trying to find the right situations where it doesn't hurt other aspects of the game and you can get the best out of Bruce Brown without hurting the offense yeah no and I think because the Nets are so damn incredibly stacked offensively that Bruce Brown you know the little intangibles that he can add you know you don't have to overexert him you know, yeah. 20 minutes for a role player, whether it be as a starter or coming off the bench, and providing the little intangible things that the superstars don't have to spend their time and energy on. That's what Bruce Brown does game after game after game. Yes, he is a flawed player in, in a lot of different respects, but he's still confident in, in what he does, and he's assured in what he does as well. So I think he's going to continue to be a, a real value add for this team. And, and Nick, anything else you wanted to touch on before we get to some all-star and Andre Rubison talk? Yeah, I guess we should just give Jeff Green a little bit more credit for the defense he played on LeBron. Like, that's, you know, I mean, that was a lot better defense than I anticipated. LeBron still got his, like I mentioned earlier, but being 34 years old, obviously LeBron being older still, like, to hold your own against a superstar like that gives you a little bit more confidence in a postseason series. Obviously, LeBron's going to turn up. Guys like Kawhi and Paul George will, too. But it just gives you a body where you're like, oh, maybe that's not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, exactly. Um the, just the, the Nets are playing really good team basketball, Nick, and and I think that you know the over reliance on superstars is what stops you from being a, a, a great team. You know, you look at the the great teams in in the past. You know, Andre Iguodala, you know, Sean Livingston, you know, these sort of players in the background. Mike Miller, Shane Battier, you know, the the best stacked superstar teams have the role players there that you can rely on consistently night after night after night. And the Nets are starting to already have a couple of them, but they're starting to develop a, a few more. And you know, the guys that we had some questions about. Are starting to to answer some of those questions in a lot of respects so it is positive and hopefully going forward uh, we continue to maintain this form defensively offensively it's going to be fine the Nets are going to be the best goddamn offense probably in the history of the game but if they continue to play well this well defensively uh then what is you know Tim Bontemps going to keep saying about the Brooklyn Nets what is Brian Windhorst going to keep saying about Kyrie Irving what is uh first take what, they're gonna they're gonna have to rebrand their show Nick you know <laughs> Nick Wright is gonna have a goddamn aneurysm now I normally like the name Nick because I do podcasts with uh, two guys with that name but Nick Wright is probably having nightmares about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and James Harden right now because Oh my God! LeBron James lost a game. He shot an air ball on Jeff Green. Ah, go to sleep, mate. You know, stay woke for the Brooklyn Nets, and that uh, we'll be sleeping on the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see when it it finally turns because I think the Nets have showcased enough where they're going to probably catch that momentum. They're going to end up being one of the top teams in the league this year, and there's a good chance they can make that championship run. And a lot of people are going to have to eat their words, like you said, Jack, just because they're starting to showcase you know, the characteristics of a great team. Like you said, you know, they have the superstars, but it's really about those glue guy role players. And we're seeing guys stepping up in the right situations. Obviously, still small sample size, but the signs are positive. Yeah, exactly. And that's all we can take um, going forward. We'll take the signs and then hopefully those those signs become trends uh, sooner rather yep. than later. And they're starting to turn into them, which is a really good thing, Nick. But Nick, wanted to put to you, obviously we have KD as the East All-Star captain. We have Kyrie Irving starting for the All-Star team. Our boy James Harden was snubbed. What were your thoughts on the, the snubbing and I guess the starting of two of our three superstars? Yeah, I mean, uh, this actually matched our, our ballot over at OTG Basketball. We got the votes from our staff, and this was actually the same one for the East. Uh, I personally thought James Harden should be in there. I probably even would have given him the nod over Kyrie Irving, just given some of the aspects of his game that don't necessarily show up in the box score, but also the fact that he runs the offense. I thought, you know, James Harden probably has been a touch better, but the efficiency Kyrie's having, you know, there's a fair argument there. And I get why Bradley Beal got the spot and the Nets didn't get three starters. I think if the Nets had the best record in the Eastern Conference, they might have ended up getting that nod. And then maybe they even played more games together because also, like, the trio is what, Jack, played seven games together. Yeah, seven games, and and Kevin Durant's missed a, a heap of them. James Harden's probably been the healthiest for us and playing yep. the most minutes. It's just, you, I'm curious I'm, to what his minute totals are in comparison to Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Even though he's been here a shorter amount of time, he's played so many big minutes and he hasn't missed a game. Or what, no, he missed one game. Yeah, he's just he's durable as hell. And the Nets are being cautious, and, and I hope that they continue to be cautious with Kevin Durant. We did hear as well. Um, I mean, I'll get to his injury stuff in a little bit. I just thought, you know, obviously OTG, you know, hit OTGBasketball.com. You really hit the nail on the head. I think that the, uh, the ballot that they had there, but, you know, James Harden, 
the, the slights that he gets, I understand that the start to his season, you know, was, you know, it left a bad taste in some people's mouth. But what was it, like five games or something where he was, you know, a bit of a a, 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 a bit of a bad sport and, and not necessarily playing to the to the right sort of spirit and, and sportsmanship that I'm sure people wanted him to. But at the end of the day, he's James Harden. And look, Bradley Beal is, has had an and incredible Jack, season. I have your numbers, the numbers for James Harden in those eight games he was with Houston. He averaged 24 points a game and 10 assists a game. It's not bad. I mean, it's not too bad. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's, I mean, uh, it's good. He would be an all-star if he maintained those numbers in Houston. Like, hypothetically, if he never got traded, he shot 44 and 34 uh, respectively from the field and from three. So like his numbers from the Nets obviously uptick to 24 points, 11 assists, almost 12 rebounds up to eight and efficiency over to uh, 50% and 40%. So like, I think it's funny that people are trying to talk so much about the Houston numbers being so terrible when, yeah, they're not great, but they're not that bad. <laughs> No, and I think it's not necessarily a numbers thing, Nick. It's it's something bigger than numbers, and and I get there. you know respecting the game of basketball, respecting the basketball gods. I, I see Draymond Green for everything that I sort of yeah. feel in that regards in terms of player empowerment and, and what they decide to do, how they decide their own destiny. But it's awesome to see Kyrie Irving starting, even though he was fourth in media voting and Kevin Durant was third in media voting. Like, what is going on? Like, Kevin Durant is the best. I don't care that he's missed games and, and everything. He's the best player in the Eastern Conference. And if not, the best player in the NBA. How do you vote him third? Like, there is some absolute lunacy happening in some of the voting from the media members. But that that's a discussion for another day, I guess, Nick. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we heard the threats to Kyrie Irving at the beginning of the season about, you know, calling the media pawns and not talking to them. And then David Aldridge saying that they're not going to vote for him and all that stuff. I'm sure that played some type of role. I wouldn't be surprised if it played some type of role with KD. And obviously the Nets have, I guess, a negative narrative around them. Just like whatever, for whatever reason, given the players on the team, it just doesn't seem like they're getting much media love, even if they do get wins. Like Because I'm sure we're going to hear tomorrow on a lot of those national media shows like, oh, the Nets got the win, but Anthony Davis didn't play. So what does it really mean? Oh, guaranteed, Nick. Guaranteed. Teeth. Um, I did want to touch on before we finish this one up on Andre Robeson and Kevin Durant's Jack, injury. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk Kevin Durant injury. I want to get that in because I think that's uh, pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. We we heard Steve Nash said that he'll be uh, reevaluated uh, in the coming days in relation to it. Um, I'm not sure. Look, what's going to happen necessarily in, in regards to the injury? Um, I'm hoping that the Nets will, will continue to remain cautious. This is the quote from Steve Nash before the game. I think what we want to see is improved strength. Usually when you have a little injury like this, there is a strength deficit. And until you have that strength back, it's not necessarily safe to resume play. There are a few progressions he has to meet. But other than that, we just got to monitor it and see how it goes. The positive thing is that he has had a few days rest now and is improving. But there's no timeline still on when we'll see him again. So I like that cautious nature and I like the the forthrightness from Steve Nash. Yeah, I mean, it's precautionary. I think if it was a playoff game, he could probably play. It might be a risk, though, because like he said, you know, you want to get all the muscles right. You don't want to create any type of imbalance is because that's when you have those bigger injuries. You know what I mean? And obviously, Kevin Durant coming off a torn Achilles. We want to make sure that he's at his fullest ability and hamstrings are a lingering injury. You know, that's something that you want to make sure fully heals. Given Kevin Durant's not necessarily the most explosive player dependent on explosion, you still want to have him feeling confident in his hamstring throughout the season. I mean, this might be a good opportunity for him to get himself out of the all-star game. Yeah, and <laughs> look, it's ultimately, whether he's back after the All-Star game, before the All-Star game, as long as he's playing playoff games for the Brooklyn Nets, that's what matters, Nick. But yep. um what did you want to touch on a little bit with Andre Roberson? Do you think that the you know the desire to re retain him might be a bit greater than for the likes of say Noah Vonleh and Norvell Pell, who is apparently you know on the radar of the Houston Rockets and New York Knicks? Funnily enough, yeah, the the Andre Roberson thing was interesting because they obviously we talked about it right before they signed him, like literally ten minutes before uh, or ten minutes after we recorded a podcast, they signed him, but. The fact is that he was signed and then he could instantly play. I don't know what it was related to protocol or whatever it was. Maybe the Nets told him like he needed to quarantine ahead of time and there were some other things they need to figure out. But it seems like they really wanted him. Obviously, they cut Norvell Pell to bring him in. Um, 
I like it. You know, I think that he can definitely bring a veteran presence. The real question we had and which we talked about is really like his health. Like, where is he at athletically? We saw him play four minutes tonight. He had a couple good defensive possessions. I think he had one turnover in there, too. Offensively, looked a little bit more rusty than defensively. But he can bring some of that basketball IQ, some of the defensive fundamentals that you want in a playoff series. Just like a body you can throw at somebody that might slow them down or hinder them for a couple minutes. Yeah, I think he'll be given a, a bit more due course than some of the other guys, um, and a bit he more has of a ties leash. too. Yep, I think that obviously does help as well. You know, Kendrick Perkins was brought into the Cleveland Cavaliers because of his ties with LeBron James and seasons past as well. So even if he does stick around as the sort of 14th, 15th man on the roster, you know, that sort of synergy and cohesion that it can provide the locker room and as an outlet to uh, it's always just good to have your friends around you know if you're giving them like a million dollars whatever you know jared <laughs> dudley in the los angeles lakers locker room as well so it's um i think it, we'll, we'll see how it all pans out nick and hopefully he gets some he gets some consistency hopefully he gets to some opportunities to show what he can he can do out there but look uh, the, I'm, I'm hoping he can provide what we think he can provide it's up to him to prove it though yeah i think ideally if you can get you know, decent minutes out of him or Shumpert. You know what I mean? Like, I doubt each signing is going to be successful or each guy is going to play minutes or play a role in this team. And both guys might not play a role in this team. But if you could have one of them kind of at least turn into somebody you can have off the bench that can bring you some defense, that'd be promising. And I think I'd be a, a little bit more inclined to hoping it's Roberson just because he provides a little bit more size and length. Yep, exactly, Nick. Couldn't put it better myself. Yeah, so... We'll see what happens with that. Jack, anything, any thoughts on Noah Vonley? Obviously, we've seen him like extremely small sample size, a lot of garbage minutes, but do you think the Nets are leaning towards keeping him, letting him go, or there's still a long way before they make a decision? Uh, look, obviously, it's not really that long, Nick, because I think it's February 25, I think, might be yep. the sort of deadline. But in, in saying that, look... I think there's a greater impetus to sign a Drummond, a JaVale McGee, hopefully a Rashawn Holmes, one of those sort of guys to add yep. to the roster. And that would you know, sort of make Noah Vonley's skill set null and void. But I I still believe in what Noah Vonley can provide. He just obviously hasn't been given an opportunity in sort of key matchups. You know, you don't want to throw him out there against the Lakers. The yep. Suns, obviously, as well. We probably could have seen him. But in saying all that, I, I'm, I've always been a Noah Vonley believer and a stand. I remember bringing him up on a whether it was a preseason podcast um, when we were doing podcast after podcast about trades and free agency targets. Um, and I got flamed a little bit, but look, I, I still think that he can give you something. And, and if it's not for the Brooklyn Nets, I think he can give something to another team as well. He's pretty young. He's athletic. Um, and I, I like what he brings. Yeah. I mean, he might have an opportunity to play in some of these upcoming games. You know, they have the Clippers on Sunday, probably won't get a shot there, but they do play the Kings again at home. Then they'll have Orlando at home too. So this is going to be his opportunity to get minutes. I'm sure Sean Marks is going to talk to Steve Nash about, you know, what's he look like in practice? Do we need to give him an opportunity in the game to really know? But I don't think they're going to lose sleep over, you know, Noah Vonley if it doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. But, Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? That's it, mate. It's scary hours. It's a Nets world. It's Joe Harris's. Look, I'm not going to repeat what I said on that uh, incredibly ranting video that I posted on Twitter, but it's it's fun being a Nets fan right now, Nick. It's it's just it's crazy to see. Sean Marks is taking phone calls. Maybe he was he was talking to Andre Drummond at um, his agent at the game as well. We have no idea. Maybe it was Blake Griffin. I don't know. Jack, do the Nets complete the West Coast sweep against the Clippers on Sunday? Uh, no, I don't think they do. I think the Clippers, if they get one of PG or Kawhi back, uh, well, I think Kawhi was back, but if, if Paul George comes back, I think it's unlikely to think that there's always a motivation to be a, a bounce-back factor. But the way that Nets are playing, Nick, um, I'm always more of the, the pessimist of this one, so I'm assuming you probably think that um, I'm uh, a little bit pessimistic on these book on Nets. <laughs> yeah, no sleep till Brooklyn, Jack. I think they're going to win. I think they got the momentum. I think they really wanted to send a message. You know, yeah, the Clippers want to send a message, but I think the Nets do too. And I think just based off of Kawhi being out of lineup, Paul George being out of lineup, you know, will they be back? Will they be 100%? The Nets are going to have two days of rest going to this game. And I feel like the Nets have been able to get up for a lot of these big games. You know what I mean? There was yeah. the one Sixer game where Katie and Kyrie didn't play, and it was just kind of James Harden out there where it wasn't a great showing. But other than that, you know, they've taken care of business in a lot of these big games. So I'm excited for that matchup. And I think there's probably a little bit more we can take away from that one, even though Kevin Durant's not playing, just to see some of the cross matchups between the Nets and the Clippers. True, 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 true. 
But all right, Jack, always a pleasure. Hopefully this win streak continues. And big thanks, everybody, for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.